Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Raptors Community and NBA Pod. It's your boy Anthony, solo runner of the Raptors Community Instagram page, and today we're going to be taking a deep dive into the Raptors and Bucks series. We're going to talk about predictions for Game 5 moving forward. Raptors have tied it up. Can't complain. Um, I think after the first two games, a lot of Raptors fans, as they usually do, start crying, saying, oh, this is a sweep, blah, blah, blah. And I even said on my account, I said, all right, everyone just chill out, take a minute, and think about the Raptors are going home. You know what I mean? We're a really good home team. Our bench will play better. Start worrying once the Raptors are down 3-0 or 3-1. Okay, it's 2-0. The Bucks did what they had to do in Game 1 and Game 2. And the Raptors have to follow that up. And you can even check on my account. I said that. I said, everyone, stop over-complaining. Just chill. And look at us now. I mean, Raptors have all the momentum moving into Game 5. Um, before I get into my predictions, though, going to start off and just talk about the box score for each game, go through, do a little analysis, a little deep dive into what the Raptors need to do moving forward if they want to win this series, because you have to win one in Milwaukee, obviously because they have home court in this best of three series now, and then I'm going to talk about my predictions, what I think is going to happen in game five, what I think is going to happen in game six, and if there's a game seven, what I think will happen, so that's what I'm going to talk about mostly on this pod today, it's mostly a Raptors pod, but at the end... Going to talk a little bit about Golden State sweeping Portland, how Golden State might be better without KD, which is crazy to say, but doesn't seem that crazy right now, does it? And I'll talk maybe a little bit of Magic uh, Magic Johnson on first take, because that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, let's start with Raptors and Bucks, game one. The Raptors... Seemed like they had all the momentum. They win the first quarter by 11. And going into the fourth quarter, they had a comfortable lead. A very, very comfortable lead, almost 11 points. And you know what? They end up blowing that by losing 32-17 in the fourth quarter. And this was a hard one to swallow because you got 30 points out of Kyle Lowry, which felt like an anomaly because he hasn't been playing this well. He played shot 10 for 15 from the field, 7 for 9 from 3, and he was the only guy who hit a shot in the fourth quarter for the Raptors and actually got a field goal. So I actually thought that this was a huge, devastating loss for the Raptors because if you were going to win one in Milwaukee, that would have been the game to win. Because, you know, you had Giannis shooting 7 of 16, but Brooke Lopez played out of his mind. Only 4 of 11 from 3, but 12 of 21 from the field. Shooting 8 of 10 outside of 3. So he really went to the basket. He did kind of his role in Brooklyn was he could cut and he could play in the low post. And that's really what he did. He was cutting a lot, going in the low post because of his threat from 3 and his shot wasn't really falling. Um, This was the beginning of Bledsoe's early woes, 3 of 12. Um, That's... Not really a big story. Bledsoe basically played bad in all four games up to this point. And for Milwaukee, I don't know what you do from here because if you stop playing him, you're going to destroy his confidence. So, And he's also a really good defender for you. So 
Um, Mike Boonhoser is going to have to decide what he wants to do. I don't think it's time to overreact yet because the series is still 2-2. You go back home to Milwaukee and maybe he'll play well. It's kind of a play it out sort of thing. And then game six, if you're desperate and you know you need, you can't play him, like you need more Brogdon because Brogdon's really good. And I think that if you didn't know this before, that this series will open your eyes to that because I even knew Brogdon is a 50-40-90 guy. Super efficient. He's a good defender. He's a great player. I wish the Raptors had him, to be honest, because he's a really good player. And he's kind of annoying to play against because he's super efficient. So the Raptors lost this game. From a team statistic perspective, the biggest loss from this game is the Bucks shot 11 of 44 from 3, 25%. And honestly, it's just disappointing that the Raptors weren't able to capitalize on that. That's so horrible. Such bad shooting, but the Raptors didn't move the ball around. 17 assists. They got out-rebounded by 15. You can't let that happen. You just can't do that. As, And the, we saw this in the second round against Philly. Toronto just can't... They can't win if you're giving up all these extra rebounds to either Milwaukee or Philly. And especially in the Philly series, we saw that where if the Raptors... um. If the Raptors owned the boards and led the game in rebounding category, they won all those games, I'm pretty sure. So it was a pretty determining factor because you can kind of, you can actually close defensive possessions, you know what I mean? You can't, you're not giving them extra chances to score. And in in Game 7 against Philly, that was a big factor in addition to the turnovers. And that shot by Kawhi, I never actually did a podcast after that, that shot by Kawhi was... Man, wild. I remember watching that, and I actually jumped out of my seat in excitement because I re- <laughs> I did not think that was going in. It looked like after it hit the front rim went up that it was going overtime, and I was kind of disappointed with that. I was like, Kawhi, why are you taking a shot like that? And then bounced a few times, went in, and then I f- just freaked out. So anyway, getting back to the series, another thing. Besides rebounds is the assists. I think I mentioned that. 17 assists in game one. That was undoable. You can't do that. And then game two was just an absolute blowout by the Milwaukee Bucks. I I actually knew that this was going to happen because of just the sheer fact that, I don't know, it's just after you, you drop a game like that, there's no motivation to go back to game two and try and put up the same performance. And if you look at the Toronto Raptors, if you look at all their players... You can see that um, Kawhi Leonard played good and no one else really played good. And this is sometimes a factor of being on the road, but the opposite of that was every single person on the Bucks, besides Bledsoe obviously, played pretty well. Except for Lopez, but you know what I mean. Like most of their bench players, Ila Sova shot 2-5 from 3-7-11. Brogdon shot 5-10. George Hill shot 5-8. Like... These are the kind of things that happen when you're on the road or when you're at home. When you're at home, your role players play better and they just smoked us. And after this game, to put that in perspective, most people thought the Raptors were done. A lot of Raptors fans started giving up and like I said, I told people, chill. Once the Raptors lose three games, then you can be worried. Once it's 3 nothing or 3-1, then be worried. But for now, focus one game at a time as the Raptors are doing. And just play the game. And then we move into game three. Raptors squeak out. Double overtime win. 
that was a great game. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was our hero with those steals at the end. That that lefty dunk was insane. Um, this is where we started seeing signs of his his quad issues. You know how we had the the right quad problem, um, some tendon issues last season, or yeah, last season when he missed the entire season for the Spurs. Essentially, he played nine games, but essentially missed the entire season. That was that's what we assume is what's happening. Uh, at this point, that's what I was thinking about, is that this is a quad problem. Could be his knee, but I'm thinking it seems like it's a quad issue, which is something that's been a recurring problem for him throughout his this latter part of his career, even though he's still really young, like 27 or something like that. Um, this seems to be a problem for them, uh, for him, but he still was able to close out that game great and grind, and I think a lot of Raptors fans can respect that, like, just watching him grind through that. After Lowry fouled out in the fourth quarter, too, with six minutes left, and Van Vliet came in, he shot he shot 0 of 10 from the field, and then he finally hit his 1-3 to put him at 1 of 8 from 3 when they needed it in the fourth quarter. So I think that was a huge shot for Van Vliet, and then he carried that over into the next game because that shot really lifted his confidence, getting to play in that overtime really let him shine, let him perform, and let him play through his con- play through his confidence issues because he had to play. We needed him out there because Lowry fouled out, and he really delivered on that. Played good defense as well. So the Raptors won that game by six, and then obviously last night the Raptors blew out the Milwaukee Bucks, one twenty one oh two. Um, this was the most impressive game because on one side you have Brogdon shooting two of eleven. And basically everyone else shooting under 50% except for Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. But Chris Middleton took 15 shots. Brooke Lopez took 5. So uh, Chris Middleton was essentially the only guy shot over 50%. Yana shot 9 of 17, so just over 50% as well. And no one else delivered for them. And this is once again, like I said, when you're the road team, it's hard to get your role players who are pretty dependent on that crowd and that energy to hit their shots, and the Raptors were the exact opposite. They were at home, and thus their entire bench shot so well. Powell shot 6 of 18, which isn't great, but he still had 18 points. Got you 5 rebounds as well and 3 assists, so he really played a decent game. And then Ibaka shot 7 of 12. Van Vliet shot 5 of 6, which is an amazing sign for the Toronto Raptors because if we want to win this series, we need him to play well. I was actually le- leaning towards playing Jeremy Lin a bit in this game um, after Game 3 because I said, you know, Van Vliet shot 1 of 11, like, got to give the man a chance. But honestly, Nick Nurse's uh, persistence and confidence that he puts in Van Vliet really helped him thrive, and I think that's a huge... Plus for them, they had a ton of assists in this game too. They really passed the ball around a lot. I think Marcus led the team with 7 assists, and the team had 32 in total, which is something they have to do moving forward if they want to win because when you move the ball around like that and get all these open looks and all these open shots, by law of averages, you're bound to play really well with all these open looks. And so the Raptors have to keep moving the ball around. I think that's been a key to them all season. You have to just keep moving that ball around, move the rock, Facilitate and Marc Gasol is the key to all of that because that addition of him just makes the ball swing so much more. Whereas with JV or Ibaka, sometimes they put the blinders on and just Ibaka will just shoot a jumper and JV will just go in the post and bang around and try and get a bunny. He'll try and put up like a little bunny. And 
sometimes that's not the best thing to do because the because it, it kind of slows down your offense. It keep it gets other guys kind of dry and uninvolved, you know what I mean? They kind of get cold, and that can lead to more problems moving forward in the game. So, overall, great, great performance by the Toronto Raptors. So, moving into game five. If you want to win one in Milwaukee, here are your three keys. One, assist, like I just said. Pass the ball around. Move through the post. The Gasol, pin, Gasol post at the elbow. Move through Lowry. Screen and roll. You know what we always do. The pick and roll. Pick and pop. That's the kind of stuff we do. Get open looks. Drive into the paint. Like this is all part of the whole assist category. So that's one big important thing. Number two is going to be your bench production. You need these guys to step up. You need three players to step up. You need Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, Fred VanVleet. The three guys who play over 20 minutes a night off the bench. All three of them need to perform. And even, I'm going to put Danny Green in there too because he hasn't been that great. And we all know he can do better and he will do better because he's just a shooter. You know what I mean? It's not, you go through up and down swings. I hope that he will regain his confidence and start shooting it back. He's been pretty bad, but he still plays defense and plays really good defense for that matter. And in that double overtime, maybe it was overtime, I don't remember, but he hit that clutch shot too in game three. So, I mean, that confidence is there that Muscle memory is there. It's just a matter of him getting open looks. You know what I mean? I don't like him getting end-of-the-shot-clock threes or off-the-dribble threes. He's a guy that needs to get open, like open looks, open threes from teammates generating them for him and him kind of running around too and getting into his spots because those off-the-dribble threes and late-clock threes are just horrible and they really do mess with your confidence too as a player. And so my last tip, my third one besides... Uh, bench production plus Danny Green and assists, so passing the ball around. My third one is defensive intensity. And I actually just made a post on this tonight. The Toronto Raptors have the best defense out of the three remaining teams left. Like, the Toronto Raptors average under 100 points per game at 99.9 points per game allowed per game these playoffs. And the Bucks are at around 104 points per game. And uh, the Golden State's at around 110. So the Toronto Raptors have a significantly better defense. And as we've heard all year, and probably throughout your whole life of as a fan of sports, defense wins championships, okay? That's just a simple fact. Toronto has to play defense. You got to clamp up these shooters. You got to rotate when you double. When you double Giannis, you have to rotate to the best shooters and leave wide open threes or contested threes for guys like Bledsoe. That's a guy who I'm fine with him taking open three all day because he's not going to hit it that often. Uh, we've seen that throughout the series. I think you got to play the you just got to play the odds at this point. That's the best way to win is close out on Miritich, close out on Lopez, close out on Brogdon, close out on those guys who shoot at a high cliff. So those are the three main guys. Actually, most of them shoot well, pretty well. So, but those are the big three who shoot probably almost over 40% from three. I know Brogdon does. I don't know about Miritich and Lopez, but I'm pretty sure they're close to 40%. So those are guys you have to be concerned about on your rotations. I think if you can have that defensive rotation, defensive intensity, doubling Giannis, making him kick it, um, I think that you're going to look, you're going to have a lot of success in the series in the next three games. 
So now let's just do a quick prediction. Game 5 in Milwaukee. Toronto has all the momentum. Um, they just came off a great game from their, from their uh, bench unit. But I'm going to say Milwaukee takes Game 5. And I hate saying it because I'm a Raptors fan, but when you look at it, the bench played out of their mind. They are not going to play like that again tomorrow. Just because of the whole... Or sorry, I'm not going to say tomorrow. Just because you might, you're probably going to listen to this Thursday. So I'm going to say on Thursday... May 23rd, Game 5, the Toronto Raptors bench will not play as well as they did in the previous game, in Game 4, because you're not at home anymore. So you're going to need more production from your stars, and unfortunately, Kawhi Leonard seems not 100%. So I think that Game 5 is a really tough one to win. If you do, that's amazing. But if not, it's not the end of the world. Um... It would be a tough loss to swallow down, but I think that at the end of the day, Milwaukee will come back home and they'll probably win it. Uh, I'm going to say that it's not going to be a blowout. It's going to be a close game. So I'm going to say that Milwaukee wins by, let's say, like six, six points, something like that. Um, Somewhere in the, I'm going to say, it's going to be a, um, a, they're going to shoot pretty well. So I'm going to say it's going to be, just over like one, like around one ten to like one oh four or something like that or one fourteen to one one oh eight something like that. So it's gonna be somewhere in that ballpark. That's my prediction. Um, so game six, I'm gonna say Toronto wins. That's what I want. That's what I believe. I think Toronto at home is a very hard team to beat, and I think that they win that game handily by let's say ten points. And they play really stellar defense, so they win maybe like 101-91 or something like that. Or maybe more closer to like uh, 107-97, something like that. I think that would be uh, a formidable victory. You play good defense, you play decent offense, and I think you win like that. And then Game 7 in Milwaukee, game on the line. I'm taking my Toronto Raptors, and here is why. Number 1, Giannis can't shoot. This is a problem because in closing minutes... Who's closing for you? Chris Middleton? Chris Middleton versus Kawhi Leonard. I'm taking Kawhi all day, every day. So is the rest of the world. And so in these close games, when you need when you need to close out a game, I'm taking the two-way star on Kawhi Leonard. Because he can hit the bucket to win the game. And he can also steal the ball from the guy in the last minute. And he's been there before. The Raptors are a veteran team. If it goes 7, they're taking seven, game 7 in Milwaukee. And, yeah, that's it for my predictions there. Um, So I said I want to talk about the Lakers, and let's do a quick Warriors takeaway. I can't believe that they swept Portland. I'm kind of disappointed. I wanted to see more competition. Um, That was pretty disappointing. Not going to lie, I think that this was a successful season for Portland because they made it to the conference finals in general. And though they got swept, they were pretty competitive in those four games. So good on them for trying. They played their best. Without Yusuf Nurkic, I think most people um, most people counted them out. I actually said they were going to lose in the first round to OKC. I said OKC was going all the way to the conference finals. That was a big L on my part. <laughs> um, let's not even talk about that anymore. I don't even want to think about that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say that the... Milwaukee Bucks 
are well, what what am I talking about? I'm gonna say that sorry, the Golden State Warriors are just as good without KD as they are with KD because the ball moves around more. Draymond is able to carry more load. He gets more touches in the pick and roll on the off ball screening. He gets to be more involved in the offense. And he's a great passer. He's great off the roll. And honestly, they play really good ball move. They have really good ball movement. They play really good defense with or without KD. Um, and you get more shots to Clay and Steph, which keeps them, which actually makes Steph better than he's been with KD because he's not thinking about, <coughs> excuse me, he's not thinking about satisfying Kevin Durant. He gets to get his own shot, create his own shot, you know what I mean? He gets to run around all, all over the floor. He gets to take as many shots as he wants because all he has to do is satisfy Clay, and Clay is just a catch and shoot guy. He'll run his own plays. You don't need to think about KD. Putting in the ISO with him kind of consumes the offense. So they're a lot more fun to watch, that's for sure. And they're going to be a formidable team with or without KD in the finals, and I think we all know that. They won a championship in 2015. They all were so close. They were inches away from 2016 winning a championship. So I think that I'm not surprised that they swept Portland. I would have taken... Golden State in six. I would have given Portland more respect, and they did play pretty good. So, you know, it's kind of bittersweet for Portland because it's like you guys made it to the conference finals, but you got swept and you weren't even close to the finals. You know what I mean? You were not the best team in the West, and you probably weren't even the top three, one of the top three teams in the West. You're probably the fourth best team in the West because you took out all the teams on that side of the bracket. Um, But they wouldn't have taken out Utah, and they wouldn't have taken out... Houston. So, that's unfortunate for them. I would have liked to see uh, Utah play Golden State. That would have been fun to watch. I think Utah would probably get smoked, though, but who knows. Uh, And, yeah. So, I'm going to quickly just talk about... I don't even think it's really that important, but we'll just do a quick discussion on Magic Johnson. What the hell is this guy thinking? Why did he go on first take? Um... We all know there's a lot of dysfunction in the Lakers front office with Rob Palenka and that crew. Um, we Magic saying he was a backstabber was kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what to take of it. I think the big takeaway from that whole thing is just... Um, I kind of lost some respect for Magic for the way that he approached what he said. So, you know, I love Magic, like... He's a great personality. He's funny on Twitter, but this all just seems so petty. The reason he left, you know, calling out all these people and kind of overshadowing it and the way he did it by just doing it the way he left and everything too was just kind of crazy. So, honestly, this is a tough topic for me to discuss because I'm not huge and I don't know so much about this content, but I think that one of the big takeaways is obviously that essentially that this Lakers front office is really dysfunctional. And clearly, if I were a marquee free agent, if I was Kevin Durant, if I was Kyrie, if I was even Kemba Walker, I would look twice at this team and think, you got LeBron, an aging LeBron, you got Frank, you got like Frank Vogel as your coach with Jason Kidd as your assistant coach, two guys who failed in two different places. 
You have Jason Kidd, who failed in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Then you have Frank Vogel, who failed hard in Indiana, a team that is now thriving with Nate McMillan. So I don't think you can look at this team and say that the staff is good. You can't look at the team and say that the front office is more than competent. Maybe they're they're average, right? But I don't think that they're more than competent. Um, the only thing that could attract you is LeBron, and he's even starting to digress with his age. So there are big question marks with this team, with this franchise. And I really feel bad for LeBron. I feel bad for their team. I don't know what's happening there. They still have a ton of young assets, so I don't think that their future is bad per se. I actually consider trading LeBron. Um, and as I say that, I start to think that I'm an idiot for saying it. But why don't you try and pick up Zion? If Okay, so tell me this. DM me on my account, Rappers Community, and tell me if you agree with this. If the Toronto Raptors... No, sorry, not Toronto, sorry. Oh my god, I'm so tired. So if the New Orleans Pelicans were to call up the Lakers, or the sorry, the Lakers were to call up the New Orleans Pelicans and say, we'll give you LeBron for for Zion, one for one. Would you do it if you were the Pelicans? The chance to put AD, LeBron, and Drew Holiday together? And obviously you have to move some stuff around for the cap, I think. I don't think they're capped out, but I don't think they have enough room for a max, so they would have to move some other players around. But if you can keep that core of three together and then just build around that for that season, I mean, would you consider it if you're in New Orleans? You get a chance to run, a, you get a chance to get a championship. Instantly, you're a contender. I would consider it. And then the Lakers can build around Zion, Ingram, Ball, Kuzma. And obviously, you can't build around all four, but. You know, build around maybe two or three of them, whichever three you think are the best three. And so, if I were to rank the three player, the four players though, as my top three between Ingram, actually let's do the three because obviously Zion is going to be the best. At least that's what I think. So if I'm going to rank Ingram, Kuzma, Alonzo Ball right now, who I think is going to be the best, I would go number one. And you're going to be surprised. Alonzo Ball is going to be the best. Because he's a good defender, um, he's a good passer, he's a large guard, he can get rebounds, he can drive, his shot's inconsistent, but I think he will be okay with his shooting eventually. The only question mark with him besides the shooting is also his health concerns, because he's had a bad knee, a torn meniscus, and he's had a lot of knee problems for the last few years, and it's kind of concerning, so I'm taking... I'm still going to go with that. I just don't want to, but Lonzo, number one. Ingram, number two. Kuzma, number three. Kuzma's third because I don't think he has a lot of defensive potential. I think he's just a spark plug scorer. So I think that the best he can be is a a really good six man. And that's what I'm I'm thinking right now. So, uh, yeah, that's basically it for the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, make sure to subscribe so you know whenever I release new videos, uh, or sorry, new, <laughs> um, new podcasts, right, new audio files, um, and make sure to follow my account at raptors underscore community, make sure to subscribe, five stars, give me five stars, please, whatever you listen to your podcasts, DM me on stuff you want to hear about, uh, guests you want on the pod, I can kind of get some people on. I haven't really thought about that yet. I've been so busy. But yeah, 
Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.